Hi, everybody. Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you. And this is episode 113 of the Fanboy Podcast. And uh, today is actually my wife's birthday. And my window of opportunity with which to record you an episode is rapidly closing. So I'm going to go ahead and just dive right on in. Because this week there was a big bit of news. And of course, that big bit of news has led to a bunch of discussion. So let's let let's let's talk about all of it. So what's the big bit of news? Well, even though many had written him off in the past as potentially or probably or more than likely being out of the DC cinematic future, uh, Jared Leto is going to be back as the Joker. And now you may ask yourself, oh, is that going to be uh, for James Gunn's The Suicide Squad? Is that going to be for Gotham City Sirens, if and when that ever gets a green light after, you know, the so-so reception of Birds of Prey? Well, no, it's none of those things. Jared Leto's Joker is set to appear in Zack Snyder's Justice League, which, by the way, is the official title. I, I kind of assumed that was the official title ever since they announced it several months back. But for whatever reason, there's been a lot of discussion on whether or not that is the title, and that was also confirmed recently. So that's more of like a little side tidbit that was part of the main news, which is that, yes, Jared Leto, the polarizing uh, gangster joker from David Ayer's Suicide Squad, is going to be seen again, and he's going to be seen again in the Snyder Cut of Justice League. So, the there's a lot to, to sort of unpack with this. And before we kind of dive into anything, I first of all just want to comment on Jared Leto's Joker. Because it's been a while since I've addressed him here on the show. I mean, let's face it, it's been a while since I've addressed anything here on the show since yesterday. I mean, last week was the first episode I'd put out in several months. And it's been a long time since I've really hit on any of this stuff. So um, some of you may require a, 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 a brief reminder on where I stand on certain things. So when it comes to Jared Leto's Joker, he was one of those characters that people loved to sort of mock and belittle and, and, and throw all kinds of hate at back in 2016, while I was just left with the impression that we didn't see enough to really warrant a judgment. You know, because if you recall, Something very similar happened with David Ayer's Suicide Squad as what happened to Zack Snyder's Justice League. Now, Ayer may not have been replaced by a whole other director, but the studio came in and massaged the hell out of his movie and turned it into something that wasn't really what he was trying to do. They kind of distorted the original vision. And as such, a lot of stuff that Jared Leto had shot for Joker ended up on the cutting room floor. So based on the little tiny bits that I saw, I almost felt like I don't have enough with which to judge. You know, this really just feels like an extended cameo for this Joker. This doesn't really feel like a chance for me to really sink my teeth into who this guy is and why he looks this way and why he acts this way. You know, I, I was left with more questions than anything. I wasn't turned off by Jared Leto's Joker like a lot of people were. I was more just like, okay, that was an interesting first impression, but when are we going to actually get to know, what, you know, this character? 
this version of the Joker. I want to see what Jared Leto had in mind had he been given the opportunity to demonstrate all three dimensions of what his Joker was going to be. But unfortunately, we didn't get to see that. So based on what we did see, I was very sort of patient and understanding of it. I thought, okay, it's not exactly the Joker I grew up on, but, you know, this is a serious actor in a film by a director I appreciate, and there clearly must have been more planned here, and this is more a product of studio butchering than bad acting or bad writing. You know, people wanted to just chalk it up to, like, the whole thing was a wash, but I'm like, honestly, we didn't get to see the whole thing. We can't decide whether or not it was a wash because the studio never gave us a chance to see it. So when it came to Jared Leto's Joker, I was not part of the hate brigade. I was more so the, well, let me see some more so I can actually judge for myself brigade, you know? And the funny thing was that was a recurring theme. For me, with villains in the DCEU at that time, back when it was in its heyday between 2013 and 2016, really, before things got totally sort of reshaped and reconfigured, um, my opinions when it came to certain DC villains were always just outside the mainstream, outside the norm. And it was actually, I was very pro the DCEU villains. Which is funny because I wasn't very pro the DCEU in general. You know, I wasn't a great huge fan of where Snyder was taking things. And, you know, there were certain creative choices being made that I was not, you know, uh, 100% on board on, if you will. On board for. But I actually enjoyed what little bit I saw of Jared Leto's Joker. I remember when it came to Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor, which was another sort of polarizing portrayal. I appreciated it for what it was. I thought Eisenberg was bringing a very sort of new, interesting quality to Luthor that I had never seen before. And I was more than willing to give him a shot. And what I saw in BVS seemed like, you know, an interesting reinvention of Lex Luthor as a young sort of tech genius and I was very intrigued to kind of see where that went. And yes, what, was it the Luthor that I grew up on? No. But that is that means nothing. You know, you got to have an open mind. These are new artists. These are new writers. These are new creators putting their stamp on these characters. So Eisenberg's Luthor didn't bother me one bit. I wanted to see where he went. I was curious about, you know, all right, all right so this is where we're starting. It's a very sort of like you know, awkward Mark Zuckerberg with daddy issues version of Lex. And I'm curious to see, does he become more of the traditional Lex after this? Do they continue to kind of build on this whole new persona and we see how that affects things? You know, again, just like with Jared Leto, I was left feeling like, all right, that was a good first step. I want to see what comes next. And the last DCEU villain that I was always much more high on than most people uh, was Doomsday. I, you know, a lot of people love to crap on Doomsday and talk about the bad CG and he looked like a big troll or whatever. You know, listen, if you can, if for me, as once I was past my, my, my resentment 
that we were already rushing into the death of Superman story. You know, once I was past the fact that in the second movie we have with Henry Cavill's Superman, we're already jumping right to the doomsday battle and having him killed off and doing the whole death and rebirth storyline. Listen, you know, that was a hard pill to swallow. But by the time I sat in the theater to watch the movie, I'd already, you know, I made peace with that. I didn't sit there hoping that the doomsday that was spoiled in trailer two was not going to be in the theatrical cut. You know, I knew this was coming. So by the time I got to the theater, I would just sort of made my peace. All right, we're doing the death of Superman on movie two. Why not? Once I'd made my peace with that and just enjoyed the third act for what it was, the funny thing is, the third act for me is my favorite part of BVS, be it the theatrical cut or the ultimate edition. I just, you know, I have a thing about watching heroes fight awesomely powerful villains and like getting a chance to see Superman, who usually has to show some restraint against his villains, to see him up against a being that he could just go full out on. And it, as part of the Trinity, you got Batman, you got Wonder Woman. I mean, to me, the third act, the battle against Doomsday, is the highlight of BVS for me, no matter the version of the movie. So Doomsday is yet another DCEU villain that people love to crap on, but even me, a DCEU critic, enjoyed them. So I don't know, you know, what to make of that, but uh, I just kind of wanted to recap because we're going to talk about Jared Leto here, and I just kind of want you to know where I stand. I was not against Jared, and so hearing that he's coming back and that he's going to get a chance to play that role again, to me is exciting. And to me, I hope that he's excited, because I know he wanted some vindication. You know, there were a lot of hurt feelings after Suicide Squad came out. There was lots of stuff where Leto was actively rebelling against the studio. And basically, like, tempting them, taunting them to fire him because he was so put off by what happened with Suicide Squad. I mean, I, I remember covering it rather extensively back at uh, Latino Review back in the day at LRM, where we, you know, we, we noted that, like, he was basically breaking contract clauses. You know, th th there was a contract clause that said that <clears throat> he can't be rock climbing or doing things that put him at great personal physical peril while he's still under contract, because that could interfere with some of the things they're doing. And Homie was out there posting pictures of himself on Instagram, rock climbing, kind of taunting the studio to be like, yeah, you don't want me to do this? What are you going to do about it? Because he was just so fed up about the fact that like 90% of what he had shot for David Ayer was just gone, you know? So... You know, I hope he feels a sense of vindication and I hope he's given an opportunity here to, you know, do the role justice and and have more of him in the role be seen by the viewing public as opposed to just that weird little vacant one-dimensional recurring cameo that we got in the theatrical cut of Suicide Squad. So that's, that was my first thing upon hearing the news. It was like, okay, good, he's coming back. Hopefully he makes the most of this opportunity. Then I start asking myself, you know, what, what could this be for? Why, why is this, you know, as far as we knew, Joker wasn't part of the original plan. 
So how is this, you know, what is this for? How is this going to be just another cameo? Is he going to have more to do? You know, I, and I still have questions. I don't have those answers. And I assume that in the year to come, because they, I think they announced it's coming out in September of next year. So we have about 11 months. Hopefully when the promotional materials come out and all that goodness, we get a better sense for what Joker is up to. And if it's anything substantial, yeah, I, I, figure it probably isn't. You're probably not going to want to distract from Darkseid and, and all of that main overarching villain story by adding a whole huge Joker subplot. So I assume it's going to be something not that, you know, seismic. But at the same time, you don't get an, an Academy Award winner like Jared Leto to commit to do this sort of thing unless what he's doing has a little meat on the bone. So I am very intrigued by that. But what I'm also intrigued by is the whole can of worms this opened, where people now are using this Jared Leto news to act as if, see, this is proof that the Snyder Cut never existed and it was not as finished as, uh, as Snyder had said in the interim and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I think some people are missing the point. I think some people are will are being willfully ignorant of information that's been come that, that's come to light from the trades this year. So I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to tackle a couple of quotes from the original Hollywood Reporter article about the Snyder cut including comments from Zack and Deborah Snyder and their blow-by-blow of the timeline for how this entire project came to be, since it looks like some people need a reminder. Because uh, none of this, none of this Leto news should be all that shocking, okay? We already knew for a while that there was going to be additional work done, and there are certain clues that I guess just went right over some people's heads, but before we get into that, I think we should also just talk about what happened with Justice League. Because remember, this was not the original plan, okay? Justice League had, well, a few different original plans. And then we got that theatrical cut in 2017. And then there was the Snyder Cut campaign, which in earnest was trying to get the original movie released. But that's not what's happening anymore. As of a few months ago, we know that Justice League is being turned into a miniseries. And that's not, people, you got to remember that because that changes everything. And there was information that came out from the Hollywood Reporter that made it very clear that this is not, you know, this whole endeavor, HBO Max didn't just green light taking the old four hour movie, finishing the effects on it and releasing it as is. No, 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 no. That's not what was that. That's not what's going on here. There's something much bigger. And the story, the, the actual storytelling possibilities were greatly increased by the fact that now we have this whole miniseries concept. But let, let, let's go back to the original sort of timeline that was given to us by The Hollywood Reporter, shall we? So the day after the two-year anniversary 
of the theatrical release of Justice League, when the release the Snyder Cut hashtag trended worldwide, Ben Affleck chimed in that weekend and Gal Gadot finally threw her, you know, lasso in the uh, in the ring, so to speak. You know, after that seismic event, the studio reached out to Snyder basically saying, listen, there is a huge appetite for this. We want to know what you think you can do with it. And then from November to February, Zach and Deborah poured over all of their footage. They poured over that original cut and then they came up with a new plan. But let me read it to you directly about how kind of things went but after the uh, second anniversary and then the pitch meeting in February. So the couple put together a presentation and in early February invited a select group of executives from Warner Brothers, HBO Max, and DC to their house in Pasadena to screen, Sny to screen Snyder's little scene version that was shown in black and white. The number of execs in the room there were more than a dozen in attendance, ranging from Toby Emmerich, Carolyn Blackwood, Walter Hamada, Kevin Riley, Sarah Aubrey, Sandra Dewey, and even Jim Lee. They were show <clears throat> the number of execs in the rooms were in the room were showed the importance of the potentially extensive undertaking. Heads of physical production and business affairs were there to assess what needed to be done and how much it would cost. And this is the big one. At his presentation after the screening, Snyder outlined ideas for not just releasing the cut, but the concept of episodes and cliffhangers. Okay, so right there at that pitch meeting, it wasn't, hey, let me make the movie. That, let me just finish the one that I've already pretty much finished. No, he came at them with a whole with a much broader idea, a much broader scope to cover here. And the studio went for it. And also in that article, they say, and while the cut will contain the many elements Snyder has teased over time. The duo also relish adding a fair amount of character development. And here's a direct quote. What's so lovely about this is that we get to explore these characters in ways that you're not able to do in a shorter theatrical version. So we've known basically since like May that this Zack Snyder's Justice League is not just the Snyder Cut finished. No, Zack Snyder's Justice League is essentially a new project using that footage and where they're going to be adding other little things along the way. Bits of character development, uh, cliffhangers, as they said, all that sort of stuff. This is not just going to be finishing what was already shot. This is about shooting and creating new content using that content. You understand? So for the folks who are like, oh, see, I told you this Jared Leto news is, is confirmation that it was never finished and he was a liar and everyone was duped. I mean, listen, that's a possibility. That's one way to look at it. But for me, if you just read, if you pay attention these last few months, none of this should be a surprise. And adding Leto, all that tells me is, okay, 
They promise that they're going to do some more character development. So hmm, is there a character in Justice League who, as part of their history, might, you know, have some character development if the Joker is involved? Uh, oh, yeah. Batman. I mean, come on, guys. You you got to rub the... Um, you, you have to let the synapses in your brain fire every once in a while, okay? Let, let, let your thought process, you know, uh, you know work. You have to, like, take emotions out of your brain and follow all the, you know, what is the actual information out there? So, okay, Jared Leto's coming at a time when the Snyders have said that they're going to try to develop all of these characters further. So what does that tell you? That means that we're probably going to get some sort of flashback. As far as we know, this Batman lost his Joker. No, not lost his Joker. Lost his Robin to the Joker. Remember that whole with the dead Robin costume in the Batcave and the ha ha ha's written on them? So something tells me we're going to have something for Ben Affleck's Batman just to kind of help flesh out his character more. Jared Leto is going to get in freaking clown makeup again because whatever they've come up with is that good or that interesting or that worthy. And to me, that's exciting. To me, that's very exciting. And to me, you know, this whole conversation about whether or not Zack Snyder sold us a bill of goods and lied to us about how complete it was, I don't think there's any evidence to support that claim. There's nothing to say that the four-hour cut couldn't just be his movie. If he wanted to just take the four-hour cut that's already been shot, and finish all the effects, and finish all the scoring, he could probably just release that movie as the Snyder Cut. But that's not what this is, and that's not what this ever was since it was announced earlier this year. So anyone who's going to be flipping out about added cast members, or what the budget is, any of those people just haven't been paying attention. And while we're on this subject of Justice League, I'm going to head into some murkier territory now because there's kind of a there's kind of a hot button topic, a hot button issue that I haven't recorded a podcast uh, since it began. So this is going to be my first chance, really, to sort of share my opinions on what happened with Cyborg and Ray Fisher and his ongoing sort of campaign to get accountability out of what happened during the shoot of Justice League. You know, he's got he's got a, an axe to grind with Joss Whedon, and he's got an axe to grind with uh, Jeff Johns. And, uh, you know, so let, let's talk about this a little bit, okay? So, as best as I can understand what has gone on, Okay. Or actually, let me recap for those of you who, who perhaps have been outside of this bubble. Uh, Ray Fisher is basically threatening via social media that, you know, there have been crimes committed on the set of Justice League and that the, the, the parties that need to be punished for said crimes have yet to be held accountable for them. And that he wanted an independent investigation handled by the studio. And essentially, you know, he's trying to get some people into some serious trouble over what happened on the set of Justice League. 
Uh, as of yet, he hasn't really released too many details on what sort of workplace uh, abuses he endured. But he is definitely sort of pointed fingers at not just Joss Whedon and all those other people, but he's definitely gone after Jeff Johns, which has led to like kind of like a, a split within the DC fandom because there's people who love uh, Jeff Johns and what he's contributed to DC. And there's people who love Ray Fisher Cyborg and, and, and in general, all of the Snyder you know, versions of all these heroes and who have felt so upset for so long about how much of the original vision for Snyder's characters was derailed. You know, so there's a lot of people who are on the, the, the Ray Fisher side. There's a lot of people who are on the Jeff Johns side. And I think before we kind of get into any of that, we should also do a little bit of history here. Because what happened with Jeff Johns and, and Joss Whedon and Justice League in general we all know was like an unprecedented situation, okay? Where they took this multi-million dollar huge blockbuster that they had been building to for a few years that was going to be their answer to Justice League. And they hired a new director. They dumped the old script. They were reshooting it like weeks before the theatrical cut. It was an entire freaking ordeal. But... Remember, the biggest crime here was that they did it without altering the release date. The studio made this choice to do a complete creative overhaul of Justice League and bring in a director who couldn't be more different from Snyder in terms of Joss Whedon. You know, they, 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 they went nuts, basically changing the entire trajectory of what Justice League was, but they weren't giving anyone extra time with which to implement these changes. You know, ordinarily, if a studio is having concerns about a sequel, they delay the movie and they get, they go, okay, we got to work on this script. We have to realign the budget. We have to, you know, handle this in a responsible way. But Warner Brothers didn't do that. They gave Jeff Johns, the responsibility, him and John Berg, they're like, listen, here's this Justice League movie that's going to start shooting in April of 2016, and we want you to basically rewrite it, like, now, like, on the fly, without any, you know, without any real chance to think all of this through, we're just going to, you know, we want you to just go and fix this movie. So Johns and Berg are already in a thankless scenario. And then you got Whedon in the beginning of 2017 being brought on board to not just write new scenes, but to also direct them and finish all the post-production. And you're basically going to have between April and November to do that, Whedon. I mean, it, it was a crazy situation. And you have to imagine that the mood on that set was probably not a very good one. It was probably pretty tense because you have a lot of people working very hard on different ends of this. You have the original Snyder cast who, who had all sort of signed up for that vision and for that version of what was going to happen. And then you had the movie studio wing of things and the DC wing of things that had sort of made the collective decision that we don't want to go there anymore. 
So here's what we're doing now and forget about what you were doing before. And meanwhile, the artists just have to kind of make sense of it. The actors just kind of have to get these costumes back on and do what the studio is telling them to do because they're just employees. And unfortunately, now their heart's been ripped out of their chest because it's not the movie that they thought they were making. And the characters aren't going on the arcs that they thought they were going to be going on. And it's my understanding that Ray Fisher, in particular, took that very personally. Because he had apparently worked fairly hand-in-hand with Snyder and Terrio on the arc for Cyborg. He had kind of, you know, it, it was sort of a personal thing for him to kind of help, you know, construct where his cyborg was going to be going and how he was going to get there. And remember, Snyder had once called Cyborg the heart of the Justice League movie. So we know that Cyborg was supposed to play a very important part in this movie. And ultimately, once Whedon came on board, you know, that theatrical cut, you know, the, the, the new script that they decided to shoot, Cyborg became a bit of an afterthought. So Fisher took all of that very kind of personally. It was very hard for him to now see all of this stuff that he had poured a lot of thought and heart and energy into filming and creating with Snyder and Terrio. And now he sees all of that just flying right out the window and he's being turned into a more, you know, dumbed down version of the character. And they want him to say the, the, the catchphrase booyah from the animated series, which unfortunately, you know, no matter what you think of Booyah, that is Cyborg's catchphrase. It is synonymous with Cyborg after you know, following the Teen Titans animated series. So, you know, he, he had a lot of qualms with the fact that his Cyborg just kind of became more of a one-dimensional cartoonish version of the character. But remember... We didn't seem to have been given the mandate, make this more of a kid movie, make this more family friendly, more lighthearted. So that's what happened with Cyborg. And Fisher was an unhappy camper about it. But now here we are and he's trying to make a, a very big deal out of this. And there's lots of vague teases and hints about what's going on, but very few actual details. Um... And so I did a little digging. You know, I kind of wanted to get to the bottom of this story a little more. I wanted to see if there was any, you know, uh, anything said or done back in 2017 that, you know, that could help us figure out what the actual accusations are. What is it that Fisher was upset about? And I put in a few phone calls and I found out that there is, he had made some actual complaints filed with the actors union. He filed complaints with the actors union regarding verbal abuse on the set of the show, of justice league. Verbal abuse was his claim. And look, when I hear verbal abuse, uh, to me, that just sounds like, okay, so he felt like the the director or somebody was mean to him on the set of the movie. That doesn't really move the needle much for me. Uh, so now I ask, is there anything criminal? Is there any sort of illegal thing about this? And that is where things get a little bit interesting. Because you see, in the state of California, workplace retaliation is illegal. 
And apparently, Fisher, at some point during during the uh, photography under Whedon, had tried to go to the studio with his concerns about what was going on, about this new script, and about how Cyborg was now being portrayed, and all of this stuff. He, He tried to basically go over John's and Whedon's heads to go to the head of the studio and complain, and it looks like maybe John's threatened him. That if you do that, or if you do that again, we'll just recast you. Or this will be the end of your time as Cyborg. You know, he he apparently issued some sort of threat about Fisher going up the chain of command and trying to make a big stink about the changes. And that could be what ultimately gets Johns in trouble. If Fisher can prove that there was workplace retaliation, if he can prove that, he, you know, that, that, that Johns threatened his career, then Johns could get into some illegal, you know, into there, there, there would be some criminal misconduct there. And that could be a big story. But unfortunately, as things stand now, to me, I'm still sort of the jury's mainly out for me because... You know, there's all this murky story, too, about the fact that back in August, uh, Fisher had the opportunity to speak with a private investigator that the studio had hired to try to, you know, figure out what's going on with these claims to get his side of the story. But Fisher wasn't very happy with how that went because he heard that there was someone else on the line and he got, you know, he was given the impression that this so-called independent investigator was really just doing the dirty work of the studio and trying to get, you know, Fisher's side of the story, the Fisher's side of the story so that they could prepare whatever their counter is going to be. So it's not a true independent investigator, but rather a studio investigator who's here just to find out what Fisher's issue is so they can prepare to fight back adequately. So Fisher admittedly said that he hung up before they can get into any details and that he wants them to try this again with a true independent investigator. Um, I don't know, man. To me... This strikes me as someone trying to take uh, personal feelings and trying to get people's, uh, you know, get people into serious trouble over their personal feelings. This feels to me like Fisher was very disgruntled with what happened with Cyborg. He didn't like the, the way he was treated on set when he voiced his opinions about the changes And he feels sort of discriminated against because of the way that Cyborg was so greatly minimized. But you see, it's tricky. It's tricky because that's going to be hard to prove, especially because if you think about it, Cyborg has never really been like the centerpiece of the Justice League. He's primarily a teen Titan and or, or a Titan. And what's interesting there is If you really think about it, in a Justice League movie where you've got Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Aquaman, Cyborg, Cyborg sticks out as being like the new kid on the block and not necessarily a core integral part of the story. So 
just by virtue of who the character is, he probably, you know, he should have been an afterthought, so to speak. You know, Cyborg, it, it would have been a little weird if all of a sudden Justice League comes out and Cyborg is one of the most important characters in it. You know, so it, it, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky territory. I could see why Whedon and Johns would be like, okay, we need to de-emphasize Cyborg because it kind of comes out of nowhere that he's our central, he's like the heart of the movie. Meanwhile, we're still not really sure what we're going to do after Justice League. Everything is so up in the air about the future of these characters. We don't know what's going on with Cyborg just yet. So let's just go ahead and simplify him down to the core elements of his arc. And give him a few standout character moments of bits of fan service. And let's leave it at that. Cyborg will be more of a bit player. You know, so to me, like the logic behind making Cyborg a small role, um, I mean, it doesn't shock me. You know, I saw the exact amount of Cyborg in the theatrical cut that I would sort of expect or even want to see. So... You know, it, it, it's it's going to be tough for him to prove that, you know, my cyborg was supposed to be a big deal, but I was discriminated against. So they made him a small deal. It's like, no, nah, dude, he's a you know, compared to the other characters in the league. He deserved like the least amount of spotlight, if anything, in his solo movie. Could be where they have, you know, could have used a lot of the stuff that he you know had originally worked on with Snyder and Terrio. So for me, at the end of the day, when it comes to this Fisher thing, you know, I, I hope he has more evidence or proof of criminal misconduct. Because as it stands, all I see is an actor who had a much bigger part and then a rewrite happened and their part got chopped down to a really small bit. And he didn't like the way he was treated when he tried to voice his concerns about that change. And now he's trying to get the people who made the changes to, you know, to be held liable, to get them in trouble. And, you know, to that, I say, good luck, Mr. Fisher. To that, I say, good luck. Um, you know, I guess you could argue that the fact that they want him for the Flashpoint movie would kind of fly in the face of the fact that he's been fired or punished or, or you know, that, that his career was harmed for what happened to Justice League. But then you could also say that maybe they did that so that he wouldn't throw up criminal charges. You know, so it, it's, it's interesting. It, it all, I guess it all depends on sort of what side of the line you stand on. For me who's someone who's just kind of all this, trying to take in all the information and figure out where I stand. I, I sort of, I mean, there's no easy way to say this, but, you know, Mr. Fisher, you're going to have to provide a little more evidence here before we can all just get behind you and go, yeah, screw Jeff Johns. Because, you know, when I think about who knows these characters better and who has the best uh, interest of these characters and the overall DC universe in general, who has that more, you know, in spades? Johns does. 
Ray Fisher, a relatively new actor in a small role or a, 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 playing a character that is far less iconic than the other characters in his team. He doesn't really have the clout to just say, well, no, this is how it should be. No, if Johns thinks this is how it should be, then I tend to think Johns knows what he's talking about. But if Johns did get personal, if there was some sort of like particularly malicious or discriminatory or, you know, you know, if there was some other smoking gun of what Johns did, then, uh, you know, let me hear it. But if he was apparently just kind of a dick to Fisher when Fisher was complaining about the changes, you know, I, I, I'm not about to cancel Jeff Johns over that. I'm going to need a little more than that to work on. So I'm sorry for those of you who've already pre-canceled Jeff Johns. Uh, I just, I, I need to hear a little more because verbal abuse is not really enough for me. I've heard all kinds of stories over the last hundred years of Hollywood filmmaking of directors who have unorthodox uh, procedures and who have had very tense relationships with their stars. I mean, you can just Google it. This is not a new thing. Directors and their actors coming to near blows on the set of a movie is nothing new. So that's why Fisher being upset about verbal abuse, it doesn't do much for me. So he's either got to prove a little more than that or, you know, I mean, that's really just it. He's going to have to prove more than just these people were mean to me when I complained about the changes to my character. And that's it. And now, before I let you go, I want to just end on some more positive, interesting things. Because, you know, the return of Leto's Joker also makes people think about the air cut of Suicide Squad. Are we going to get to see that? You know, now, now that we're re-exploring all of this, now that Ray Fisher's cyborg is going to get that arc that he originally wanted, and now that Leto's coming back to flesh out the Batman's arc, you know, now that we're kind of in this interesting new frontier where HBO Max seems willing to breathe new life into Snyder's original vision for things, you know, people are wondering, like, what does this mean for the Ayer cut? And I got to tell you, uh, if you follow David Ayer on Twitter, and especially if you can read in Spanish, because Homeboy writes pretty, uh, he's, he seems to be pretty good at his bilingualness, uh, Mr. David Ayer. Um, you know, he's answered some questions on Twitter over these last few months in ways that really seem to indicate that we're going to see the Ayer cut of Suicide Squad. And I would not be surprised if HBO Max basically tries to turn that into a miniseries also. You know, who knows? With the original footage there, maybe you could make two or three episodes out of that. Who knows? Who knows? A lot of it, a lot of it is probably going to, you know, hinge on whether or not Zack Snyder's Justice League does well. But you can kind of start seeing some synergy here. If Jared Leto's Joker is involved... And the air cut of Suicide Squad is, you know, being rumored into existence. And we know that that means that we're going to see a lot more 
of the Jared Leto Joker, both in the Ayer Cut and the Justice League, then that also makes some tantalizing things. When you think about these rumors that Ben Affleck might have signed on for more movies or might get his own HBO Max miniseries or something to that effect. You know, unfortunately, I don't know anything about the, you know, whether or not those rumors can be taken all that seriously. But I can say that at this point, nothing would surprise me. You know, this has been a year where we found out that, I mean, I've talked about this a lot, but this has been a year full of things that nobody thought were going to happen. You know, we're getting the Justice League. We're getting Ben Affleck back as Batman in a Flash movie. We're getting Michael Keaton back as Batman in a Flash movie. You know, there's lots of, and, and on top of that, you know, independently of everything else I've discussed, it looks like, you know, the, there had been a question about is the Zack Snyder Justice League going to get additional footage or if, is this just going to be a matter of finishing the effects? And rumor has it that in the coming weeks, there is going to be additional photography on Zack Snyder's Justice League. So, you know, lots of things that people thought would never happen are happening. Not to mention those rumors earlier this year that Henry Cavill will play Superman again that I discussed a few episodes ago. So there's lots of things that people who rush to say never are going to have to eat their words on in the coming, you know, for a while now. (laughs) As all of these things start being released and they start seeing it all, you know, the old adage of never say never is proving itself to be very true this year. So when it comes to the rumors about whether or not we're going to see a Ben Affleck miniseries, you know, a Batfleck miniseries, um, I don't know if they're legit, but at this point, nothing would surprise me. You know, he's getting older. Sure, Ben Affleck is getting older. But if you see the pictures of him lately, he's like in the best shape of his life. He looks younger now than he did in Batman v Superman. And when you hear that they're bringing in Jared Leto and therefore investing more time in Batman's arc. And then when you think about the rumor that the air the air cut of Suicide Squad is coming, which already had Ben Affleck's Batman in it and had him confronting Jared Leto's Joker. It does kind of start to appear like over in the HBO Max corner of the DC universe. There is definitely some interest, at least, in getting Ben Affleck and Jared Leto's Batman and Joker uh, to tell some stories together. So it would be pretty interesting if we could get like a miniseries that's like all in flashback. Maybe that's why Ben looks so much younger lately. He's trying to de-age naturally. But, you know, maybe we're going to get a flashback of what happened with that Robin Maybe we'll kind of get to know what made this Bruce so dark and, and you know, the dark, violent man that we met at the beginning of BVS. I mean, I feel like that would be an interesting place to go. You know, rather than a sequel to Justice League, where now we go into the Slade Wilson stuff, you know, the, the whole death stroke, you know, the original stuff that Affleck had wanted to do, maybe instead of sequelizing 
the Batfleck from Justice League. Maybe instead we're going to get a flashback miniseries or movie that finally just, you know, completes the, that tease from BVS. Yeah, because that, that, that's one of the threads that we never got to see more of. You know, we see the Robin suit in the Batcave. We see the ominous writing and the ha-ha-ha written on him. But you got to assume that they were going to follow up on that later. At some point in what would have been Ben Affleck's solo Batman series, that would have been something that we would have, you know, learned about. But we never got to do that. So maybe... That is what they're working on. If they're working on anything, you know, listen, this is still, I still am a little skeptical, but like I said, at this point, nothing would surprise me. And unfortunately, as I look at my time, it looks like I am out of time for getting to record more fanboy goodness for you this week. I've got to go back upstairs and, 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 and be a good husband and prepare some more birthday festivities for my wife who will be home from work very soon. So uh, I will be back next week. And please know that, you know, because of all the different things I have juggling right now, like I have the kids in the living room doing their virtual classroom stuff and finishing up their homework on their own while I record this, while my wife's at work. And there was a very big part of me that was like, maybe I should just reschedule. Maybe I should just announce that, you know, the next episode will be next week because it's my wife's birthday and it's the more quote unquote responsible thing to do. But you know what? I made a promise to you guys last week that I'm back and that I'll be here every week. And I decided come hell or high water, I will deliver the fanboy this week. And I'm going to bring that level of dedication moving forward. All right. So hopefully you enjoyed this week's episode. Hopefully, uh, you know, for those of you who sent in some topics I didn't get around to today, I will probably get to them next time because there were some very great suggestions sent in that I unfortunately just don't have time for today. But for next week, you know, we're going to talk a little more about movie nights here at Casa Robles. We're going to talk a little bit more about... A little wrestling because Tavo Borrego, one of my longtime listeners and supporters, he, he's been with me for, I don't know, dude, how long has it been that we've been talking all this stuff? Four or five years now? Uh, Tavo wants me to talk some wrestling and I got some wrestling stuff to discuss. And uh, yeah, th th there are quite a few topics that I unfortunately had to leave on the back burner for today, but I will get to them. All right, guys. So I hope you had a, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And until next week, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios.